and I, we actually we organised this holiday before we put the Kickstarter in the middle of it. And so we went off to Japan with a bunch of our mates to go snowboarding, which was cool. Um, but <laughs> so I mean, it's a good excuse to go snowboarding because it's probably yeah, sure, it's business thing. related, it's right? Exactly business right, expense. exactly right. But at the same time, you know, I do emails for three hours before everyone would wake up, and then yeah. on the chairlift, waiting for the chairlift, you're sort of on emails, yeah. that kind of thing. And that was cool. Like I loved that. And we even got recognised in a bar, you know, in, in, really? in Japan. Somebody goes, up, I was wearing my hoodie, and a guy comes up and goes, Oh, you the guys from that? And he was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the coolest things that I think has ever happened to me. I'm here with Rob Joseph from Anti. Anti is changing the way in safety sports by, by building the world's first soft certified helmet. Rob, welcome to the Cube, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So, Rob, what's Anti? Uh, so we make snow sports helmets for the moment. So instead of the traditional hard hat thing that doesn't really fit, bounces around, it's annoying to use, hard to pack, all that kind of thing, it's a beanie. So it's really soft, but while being as safe as anything else on the market. Right. Trying to play off all those things, you know, nobody wants to wear a helmet. Everyone would rather wear a beanie. So why don't we just make a beanie that's safe? And that's sort of the angle that we took. I mean, that's a simplistic kind of approach to it, but where did you actually come up with the idea? Where did you think that this was actually going to be possible, that you could do this? Um, pretty early on, actually. The, the theory is relatively sound of it all. The, the harder bit is actually turning the theory into reality. <laughs> so, so sort of early on when we had the idea, we were sort of able to prototype pretty quickly and go, oh, this is actually, you know, we're on here. This is working. And uh, from there, it's been more of a commercial thing of getting the right suppliers and all that kind of thing, making it, a commercial thing rather than just a, a thing in concept, I guess. And what's it like when you're building something that's never been done before? Okay, so you've, you've got this. So I've done some, we've, I've been involved with some manufacturing in China, right? But we're not doing anything new. I'm sending them plans. They're sending them back to me in plastic. They've done this a thousand times in a different form. How do you start the process of something that's brand new? And, and, you're, like, with a, and, and you're outsourcing the manufacturing, I'm imagining it's... Is there, lang- is there kind of language barriers? How, like, how do you start that? It is pure chaos in, <laughs> in every regard. Um, and, and, you know, we're still working through it, still, still getting it all right. But um, we have fantastic industrial designers. In, uh, okay. So we've been working with them for a little while. And they know the process really, really well, particularly with products that have never really been a thing before. And that's mm-hmm. the hard thing. So we, we bring in our materials from Portugal. And our materials come from Portugal to Australia, and that's where we've been prototyping, but then they're going to have to go from Portugal to China. And of course, because they're coming from Portugal, China's never dealt with them before. So the guys in China need to figure out exactly how it works and how it goes together. And then, they, then they're figuring out you know, what's the best way of doing that. And so we're going through that process at the moment of just sort of finalizing those, those few bits. So it's just all, all a bit chaotic, really. Why Portugal? So there's three manufacturers of non-Newtonian materials, which is the big ones that we build. Um, we contacted the first one, the pretty much the biggest one, uh, pretty well straight away when we first started. And they go, nah, bugger off, send us your 50-page business plan. And of course, that wasn't happening. So um, they sort of shoot us off. We tried another one, sort of fizzled out with them. And then we found these guys in, in Portugal. And they're sort of a startup themselves. And they have a patent for all the materials. It all works pretty well, um, very well, actually. And so we started dealing with them. And they were actually happy to ship us raw material. So we get these paint tins of material that we can prototype with, whereas everyone else was, you know, you have to send us your, your tooling, we'll mm. build the tool, we'll prototype for you and send you back a final product kind of thing. And that's cool, but 
one, very expensive and two, not very iterative. See, whereas with this stuff, we can sit in a workshop here in Brizzy and try 10 different things in a day and figure out what works really quickly rather than getting these one people to you know, spend three weeks doing something. So for speed, it's really good. And what is non-Newtonian something? Non-Newtonian material. So Newtonian material is like water. Okay. They've got the same viscosity, same density all the time. Whereas the non-Newtonian ones, they have sort of this dynamic viscosity is a good way of describing it. So it turns out blood and um, ketchup as well are non-Newtonian. So you wouldn't really oh. understand it, but we wouldn't really guess it. But essentially, they've got big molecules and they've got an interesting molecular structure. And um, ours are sheer thickening. So when you apply a force, they bind up and they go hard. So the old Ublek experiment is a really good way of sort of demonstrating that one. So it sort of starts off soft and malleable and foamy and all that kind of thing. And then... When you hit the ground, it hardens up and sort of absorbs a bit of force at the same time. Right. And that's how you're able to make a soft beanie helmet. And are you, you know, is is the beanie like a layer of, of this non-Newtonian material and then a layer of, of wool on the outside? Is it weaved into the beanie? Like, how does how does that work? Yeah, it's, um, so it's like an inner harness layer is what we call it. So that's with all of our uh, units of non-Newtonian material. So it's like a foamy, mm. rubbery type deal. Um, we had that on the inside and that's all flexible and malleable. And then we throw you know, a really nice beanie in the merino inner on the inside of it too. So it sort of has that really nice comfort and feel while the secure safety layer is all in the middle of it there. And is there anyone else in the world trying to do this? Uh, sort of, um, but not really. There's some people who have done it before and have actually come under fire by saying we're the first, but oh. they haven't been happy about it, but the fact is we're the first that's going to be approved. People have done this before and the thing with non-Newtonian materials is they're actually not good enough by themselves to be an approved helmet. They could be like a, you know, like a little, like a bump cap or something and that's cool. But what we're going for is here, we are rivaling helmets in terms of safety. We are as safe, if not safer than them. Right. So nobody's been able to do that before. People have made beanie helmets, but they're not safe. Right. You know, for lack of a better word, I guess, they're not as safe as a helmet should be, whereas ours is and that's kind of our, our point of difference there. Right. And big congratulations too is in order. You guys just came off the back of a massive Kickstarter campaign. So over 200,000 was the... Yeah, something like that. Yeah, just a touch over. Just a touch over. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last time you checked. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Now the numbers have stopped. I should really remember the number, but uh, 207 something. Ex you know, excellent. And so, and what's kind of the feedback? What was the process of going through that Kickstarter campaign? You know, because I look at them before I was involved with a business that was going to a Kickstarter. Thank God we didn't, because it would be would have been an absolute horrible experience. What was the experience like for you? And how did you guys? How do you get in a Kickstarter the critical mass to go viral? I mean, two hundred seven thousand dollars certifies viral definitely. And so, what's the process with? Getting, getting a Kickstarter like that actually off the ground. It's wild and it's not as organic as you might think it is. It's very much, um, you have to build a, an audience first. So we had just over 5,000 people in an emailing list interested first. And so we emailed all those guys, had a lot of friends interested, all that kind of thing. Um, and a big considered you know, marketing uh, PR push as well. Um, some of which works, some of which didn't. As it turns out, there's a lot of challenges in Kickstarters that we didn't know about and you won't know about unless you do one first. Right. So we went through all that. Um, we didn't actually really hit critical mass. As funny as it is to say, we never hit the front page of Kickstarter like we should have. You know, we, we had a lot of early indicators that it was going to go well, like better than it did. We're super thankful for what happened, but we had a bunch of things that just didn't quite tick the box at the time and a few little marketing things and 
few little intricacies of Kickstarter and people were working with at the time, and it just didn't didn't go the way it potentially could have. But of right. course, in the last you know week or so, we got something like sixty thousand dollars in the in the one week, and it was just chaos and just the best feeling ever after sort of yeah. forty five days of hell nearly. Um, but it, in saying that, it was tough, but it was awesome just to speak to customers. You know, yeah, we've definitely. been in this sort of vacuum chamber for a little while yeah. of, you know, it's easy to work on your product and work on your product. And we'd never really had that kind of scale of feedback before. Yeah. And some people absolutely hated it. We, <laughs> we copped some grillings on the internet from people who you know, either didn't believe it or didn't trust it. And that's totally cool. Um, but also the really heartwarming ones is people who turned around and loved it and, and yeah. sent us an email and said, Hey, rooting for you over here. You know, that was you know, the best things, you know, at three o'clock in the morning when you're awake and you've been awake since like the day before kind of thing, watching this Kickstarter and dealing with stuff mm. and you get those emails, you go, oh, yeah, this is all for something. All, all this stress is, is, is well worth it. And how stressful was that campaign? Because it's 40 days? Is yeah, 40, 45 days. We 45 days. So like I can imagine if it was me, right? I'd wake up every single morning, <laughs> refresh, refresh yeah. and just check that something didn't happen like some celebrity didn't tweet about it last night and it's gone viral and you got a million bucks in there. Was it 40, you know, was there a kind of, was it stressful at the start and then you had a bit of a chill in the middle? Was it stressful at the end or just was it hell? Yeah. No, no, it definitely ebbed and flowed. At the start was very stressful because um, a few marketing things were really interesting with Kickstarters mm-hmm. and Kickstarter doesn't allow Facebook pixels onto their page. So you can't tell where your ads are coming from. So you're running right. Facebook ads and all these people are driving to the page, but Facebook doesn't know the ads are working. So when Facebook doesn't have a metric to work off, it just kills the ads because it goes, oh, they're not working. Right. So in the first, you know, we got 40,000 in the first hour or something, which is wild from our you know, networks and, and the email list we did up. But then it just sort of stopped. And at the point where, like, we woke up at, you know, 7.30 that morning and I was at uni, I was at, you know, our workspace here and I was up you know, nearly for you know, 36 hours or something, had half hour sleep in that, yep. at, like staying at the office and expecting it to keep climbing and keep climbing. But for some reason within the first day, which is sort of the big note of Kickstarter, we had this faltering of it. And it was just, that was stressful and figuring out why that was. Mm. And there was, because we did a, a particularly long campaign, there was a bit of a chill time in the between. Um, but Liam and I, we actually, we'd organized this holiday before we put the Kickstarter in the middle of it. Right. And so we went off to Japan with a bunch of our mates to go snowboarding, which was cool. Um, but <laughs> so I mean, it's a good excuse to go snowboarding because it's practical. Yeah, sure, it's business thing. related, it's right? Exactly business right, expense. exactly right. But at the same time, you know, I'd do emails for three hours before everyone would wake up, and then yeah. on the chairlift, waiting for the chairlift, you're sort of on emails, yeah. and that kind of thing. And that was cool. Like I loved that. And we even got recognised in a bar, you know, in in, really? in Japan. Somebody goes up, I was wearing my hoodie and a guy comes up and goes, oh, you the guys from that. And he was like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the coolest things that I think has ever happened to me. And, um, yeah. but yeah, so it was a ton of hard work, but it did ebb and flow. And that last week was pretty chaotic, just trying to make it work and trying to, you know, up the efficiencies. And mm. I mean, we're engineers for you know, a bunch of the team. And so you're always looking at those numbers and going, how can we do that better? How can we do that better? And with marketing, it's not always a, you know, a, a science thing. There's a bit of an art to it as well. And so just trying to make it all work. And, but, and, and just the, the sheer time that we spent talking to people was awesome, but it was also a lot of time that we spent. No doubt. And when did you guys like first start the business or, you know, and w- when did the idea start? When did the business start? Yeah, it was sort of June or July 2016. So funnily enough, I met Liam who came into the business later on, but 
Liam and I went on a university ski trip run by a mate, Lockie Spedding, who's from a previous podcast of yours. Yep. Um, so we all sort of met there um, and we're having a great time and I'm a brizzy boy, been riding you know, motorbikes, wakeboarding, everything, wearing a helmet pretty much all my life. I'm, I, if, it, if it hurts, I'm into it. You it's know? the first time I've seen you not in a cast. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and, and, and that's it. I've, I've been hurting myself for years. Yeah. And um, as a medical engineer, I knew that it was dumb not to, take out, to, not to ride with a helmet. Mm-hmm. And I took my helmet off riding because it was annoying, you know, bouncing around, it was uncomfortable. And like, this was my wakeboarding helmet. It had been professionally fitted to me because I was a relatively good rider wakeboarding. And um, I took it with me and I was like, oh, this sucks, I'm taking it off. And then, of course, as it always happens, you hit the deck, hurt a lot. Um, Realised it was silly to not wear one, but then also didn't want to wear one. Mm. And that's kind of where the concept came from. And then we sort of looked at people and we figured that people like wearing beanies, so we, we changed, made beanies safer. Um, and I sort of sat on that, that idea for a little while. And then I sort of identified, I knew I needed somebody else to do it with me. And I identified Brody as one of my older brother's best mates. And he and I, like yin and yang, we could not be more separate. We, we disagree <laughs> on nearly everything. It's wild. Um, but I think I had a conversation with him on like the 6th of January, 2017. And that's when it really kicked off. And that's when we sort of started going through these programs and you know, really making something of it, which was cool. Good fun. Then I quit my job in the end of 2017. So within you know, eight or nine months, I'd quit my job, um, gone to Europe and back, and that was it. So... And we had to raise money because I was out of money. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and what's that? And what's that process? I, I saw you guys got some great recognition from different categories. You were in Europe pitching with the Virgin Project. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and there was it's been some other good. Is has the Kickstarter been the catalyst? And how have you found that process of trying to get traction leading up to it with mm. a prototype? Because it's. You know, yours is a cool product, and yours is. I put your product in one of these categories. It's like I'm interested. I'm going to buy one when it's on the shelf. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, right? Totally. It's kind of like if you can finish it, you're awesome. But I'm not convinced. Now I am convinced because I know you. But that's the category yeah. that I put it yeah, in. Yeah, totally. That's totally cool. That's that's been an interesting one. We've always known trust is going to be the big issue, and that's totally cool because we have ways of fixing that. Mm. But the best way of fixing it is the fact that the helmets work. Yeah. So we can prove to people that it works, and that's when we first started having a lot of fun in pitch comps and, and pitch days, where we start. Brody started hitting me over the head with a bit of twelve mil plywood. Yeah. And that's <laughs> you know that's when we started getting a bit of notice because like of all these pitches and you know there, there a lot of tech and stuff flying around and where these guys making helmets, nobody really took too much notice of us before then because it's like oh cool, it's yeah. just an idea. But then you put a helmet on mid pitch and get smacked over the head, and suddenly suddenly people go oh, maybe it is a real thing. Maybe it does work. And so, you know, the people on the Kickstarter, they put a ton of faith in us, which is excellent. And it does work and it's all awesome, but they haven't seen it and felt it by themselves. Yeah. And so these are our early adopters and they're, they're absolute legends for it. And we can't wait to get them the helmets. But for a lot of other people, they're going to take that like yourself. And I might be the same as well had I not been sort of building it myself, is that I'll wait till it's in my hands yeah. and somebody can prove to me that it's safe. And we always knew that was going to be the thing. It is this weird concept that comes around, particularly with, I guess, a, a hardware startup, you know, like a physical product startup, mm. where you can almost tell anyone anything about tech. You know, this is a machine learning AI algorithm, and people kind of go, oh, cool, I know that exists. <laughs> this must be one. But with, it, with it, hardware, it's kind of like people almost struggle to even like, comprehend. Mm. You know, that, that even though it should be easier. What, what about... 
one of the things I'm interested in is what's your what's your like in business model here? Are you are you looking to sell to a large company? Let's just say Nike or one of the snow sports brands, or are you guys wanting to kind of build up a range of products along this the, like the safety side? So it's using this revolutionary technology or using different revolutionary technologies and having a massive portfolio, or is is are you guys going to focus and really hone in on this helmet concept and build that out? It's uh, kind of a bit of the second two. So um, we're here to we're sort of action sports athletes first you know yeah. we, we've always loved it always hurt ourselves doing many multiple different things um an engineer second so we find these really cool markets within within sport that we love every yeah. bit of you know there's currently no 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 good knee braces for people who run and no good shoulder braces for people who dislocate shoulders and all that kind of thing and so the whole sports realm is something that we love mm. and the sport that we love most just happens to be snowboarding and, yeah. and, and so we have this really cool solution and, and doing really cool things in the snow and so we, we plan on you know hanging there for quite a while mm-hmm. but it would be remiss of us to go no no we're just making snow helmets because our tech is cool um, we've got a really you know, interesting team with some really cool thoughts and there's a bunch of new materials that are coming out that should have come out you know, a couple of years ago but it just turns out that we're the ones that are really using it properly mm-hmm. and we have that scope now that you know once we do the snow helmets then maybe there's you know other materials there that we can really play with and make people safer because ultimately we want to keep people safe yeah, with the head injuries, you know, CTE, concussion, everything—it's an awful, awful thing. So we want to make people safe, first of all. But we also want, in being safe, it means you can enjoy the sport that you love for longer. Mm-hmm. And I've had an injury recently, which means that I might not be able to enjoy it for for the rest of my life. And that's just been secured in me now that we want people to be safe, so they can enjoy snowboarding, skiing, whatever else it is, for the rest of their life without big injuries. And there's a lot of potential there for all these different products and markets and all that kind of thing. And that's totally cool. Um, for now, to, for a long answer to your short question, um, helmets for now, and then we'll expand into other helmets for like cycling and stuff, and that's that's another thing we love and skate and BMX. Um, but there's also a lot of alternate things that we want to build the team, not necessarily us, but build these other companies that we go, hey, here's the tech, go run with it, see what you can do. Yeah. And while we'll stay in snow for a long time, I would say, because that's what we love, but there's people around us who will go, hey, can you give me this so we can go do this? Go, yeah. yeah, sure. Take it, go nuts. We'd love for you to see that. So that's it, I guess. Awesome. And what, and what about yourself? Where, where do you fit in this? Like you're an, obviously an entrepreneur now, you know, but are you, a, are you an athlete first and an entrepreneur second? Um, if you look at me, you probably wouldn't say athlete. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I've, I've been raised in a household of people who play sport all the time you know five six days a week since mm-hmm. i was a kid play sport all the time and um my brother went into more traditional sports played a lot of cricket and rugby i went into the more action sports so i've always ridden motorbikes push bikes um wakeboarded at a relatively high level for a while there snowboarded now hope to get better at that i'm not that good being a queensland boy it's too hot here for that um <laughs> so you know being a natural risk taker and a sportsman is i'm not a good one but it's what i love yeah. And then sort of bringing that sort of entrepreneurial mindset and, and I'm a medical engineering student, so bringing in sort of that entrepreneurial side of it as well as the engineering side of it to a place that it hasn't really been sort of applied before. What's, and what's medical engineering? I've actually never heard of medical engineering before. So yeah. what, like what's, what's medical engineering and what does that kind of entail? And has that helped you come up with the, being able to come up with and, and visualise this product? 
to a degree. I, I wouldn't say that the degree has the background of the degree gives you, as all engineering degrees are. That's the biggest thing, is because it makes you think in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't learn what we needed for the helmet in engineering, and that's totally cool. Um, because I've always, my dad's an engineer, and so I've always been raised in yep. doing silly things and building things that work <laughs> would do. Because dad's very much like that. Yeah. Um, but medical engineering as a whole here at QUT, it's a more of a strain of mechanical. So you, you do some similar mechanical things, but you also have a very big biomedical focus. So implants, prosthetics, um, knowing a whole bunch about the body at the same time, mm. and knowing how you know modeling you know, bones within the body and failure modes and all that kind of thing. That's a massive one too. So it's super interesting for me as someone who's always played sport. Yeah. Because you watch someone's, you know, a video of that girl who, um, the gymnast, and she both broke both broke her legs. And we do a Haven't lot of... seen that. Don't know if I want to see oh, that. Oh, yeah. No, it's crazy. <laughs> came out this week. I think she was at oh, some, no. some national competition and just oh, no. snapped you know, both of her lower legs. But like the biomechanics of it, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that's what's happened. That's what's happened. That's what's happened. And that's yeah. why it went wrong. Right. And so it's... Probably not a nice thing, I guess, but it, it's also something that's just intriguing. Yeah. Absolutely intriguing. There's that sick kind of curiosity that I have now. It's like, I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to look up the video later or not. <laughs> yeah. You, you might. It's one of those ones that, like, if it comes across oh. your feed, you might just, like, let it, ha- let it happen and scroll yeah. away quickly. But it's pretty intense. But also, at the same time, it's super interesting. The body is, is, yeah. is crazy and it's absolutely nuts. And so, it's mm. fascinating to study it and then study it from an engineering perspective as well. Because there's a lot we can do to make humans better. And a lot that we can do to make, um, you know, sport better for humans. Definitely. One of the things that I'm interested in is when it comes to entrepreneurs and people that are taking these big risks like yourself and starting up these crazy companies that are completely new, and in your case, using completely new materials in new ways. Do you think that, you know, you always had an entrepreneurial streak? Do you want to be a business owner and an inventor and to push the boundaries? Or is this something that you saw a need and you grew to that need? Um, I would say I already started that way, I, I think. Uh, a big part of my life has been shenanigans. Yeah. And a lot of those shenanigans of having an engineer as a dad was building stuff and just being silly with stuff. And I remember as a kid, mum's, uh, her washing trolley to go out to the line, the washing line, it fell apart, the axles fell out. Right. So we drew the axles out and we got some, some wheels and an axle off one of those red trolleys, some like actual air tyres we put on my mum's washing trolley. And so mum's washing trolley had these big pneumatic tyres on it. It never gave her trouble ever again. It's big, thick <laughs> axles. And so a lot of the time, what you know, what this grows from, I guess, is just the shenanigans and building things that are fun. And, yeah. and I'm really lucky that the people that I've been surrounded by, because you know, both sets of my grandparents are business owners. Um, mm. My mum and dad own a business together. And so I've kind of come from this long line of people who own businesses and have been through all the tough stuff and all that kind of thing. So the the luckily my lineage has kind of pointed me in this direction between you know the businesses that my grandparents own and the, my dad being an engineer and um sort of just the way i was raised in that that place that mum and dad always had a business and was always working all that kind of thing so mm. i think it was something that i was always destined to do it just depends on what what it was and it just end up being this yeah awesome and one of the other things that i'm kind of like interested in is since you've started the business how, what's your kind of daily routine that kind of starts like what, what what do you do on a daily basis when when do you get up when do you work to and how does your day unfold these days it's a little bit easier I've just moved into the city so oh. I, I live down the Gold Coast and we, we worked here oh, so I'd, either, I'd jump on the motorbike at about quarter past seven every morning 
straight up in here. Yeah. Work all day. But these days I'm in I'm in the city, so it's a whole lot closer. So I wake up at six, generally go to the gym for a bit, um, go get it out now that my injury is a little bit healed up, so that's good. Um, go to the gym for a bit, come home, have brekkie, go to work, I guess like a lot of people do. Um, start the day with you know, emails, just make mm. sure the correspondence overnight. Of course, because our business is very you know, Europe America centric, often we'll get things that come through overnight. Okay, quick deal with that. Um, spend a bit of my day, depending on the day, of course, um, because we definitely have a very businessy side of the company and a very engineering side of the company, and I love being in both. So a, a lot of engineering stuff, which is great. Love love product dev and dealing with you know design problems and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's there's contact to be made and lots of talking to people actually is the best thing a bit of validation as well as you know mentors and advisors and all that kind of thing has been a big thing for us yeah awesome and that like what you talk about there is you guys are in multiple countries already you know in in terms of what you're dealing with i i guess most businesses that i kind of relate to would start in australia how is that with the kind of the um the standards that you have to meet in, in, in helmets and, and everything like that how's it dealing with multiple countries at once is it is it do you just pick the hardest one and go if we hit that we're going to hit everything else a, a little bit do you mean in terms of certification in terms yeah of certification certs well, do bad. everything certification and we'll, we'll start certs anyway yeah. so certification is interesting because really Australia doesn't have a certification for snow sports helmets so because we don't have one we sort of have to default to either Europe or America and so the ASTM is the American, the EN1077 is the European. Mm-hmm. And they're similar in some ways, but different in others. So our thing from the start has always been, we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to build a helmet that's only certified by one. Like, what's the point in that? Why don't we just go both? Yeah. We figured, great, we'll do both. And so that's sort of what we did. So we figured the easiest way to get around certification is just by being better than them. And that's always been the, the tack that we've taken. Yeah. It's just that, why don't we satisfy everything and be cool? And that was sort of it. Um, in terms of a business, it's difficult because there's a lot of different intricacies with dealing with Americans versus Europeans and the way we've grown up in Australia. You mm. know, and, and, and it seems like every time we deal with an American, um, on a business sense, they always throw a contract at us and threaten to sue us, even though you know, that's just what they do. But never, never once have we been in the wrong. But it's been a couple of times where they've gone... No, 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 you need to do this as part of the contract. And you go, no, it's not. Look at the contract. Right. So it keeps happening. And we just go, what, what's, it just must be the way they do business. And it's, it's fascinating to wake up in the morning and go, oh, you know, our, our legal team's looking at this. And you go, great, no worries. And then don't know what for. There's nothing in there that's, you know, we check it and we send it back to them. And it turns out they're bluffing. And it keeps mm. happening. Mm. And, you know, Europeans we haven't had any problems with so far. You know, Americans are typically great, but there's just had a few of these companies that have been you know, interesting yeah. to deal with. So there's been, yeah. you've probably found a similar thing, actually. Have well, you? I mean, like, the countries that we deal with the most are Dubai and Europe and the UK. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. The Europe's, you have to get a little bit used to that, especially if you're dealing in a company with, like, the Netherlands or Germany, is that they tell you that they're just not interested. Whereas, um, and yeah, and actually much the same with Dubai, too. You know, they just mm. let you know that, no, but you know, like you'll be you'll be going down a process. You'll be you'll have multiple meetings, you know, and then as soon as they've locked off, there's not like oh well, we're gonna have a think. You know, Australia kind of send you down this rabbit hole, and it's yeah. nice. It's a nice close. <laughs> you all know what it means, right? Yeah. You know, like, look, oh, we're gonna have a look. We will come back to this later on, and we'll send it up the stream. Where Europe just go like we're not interested. We don't think there's a market here for that, and we're like closing the door. 
And you're kind of like, yeah. oh, crap. <laughs> really? So it's it is. Enough. Yeah, it is. But never been threatened to sue. Never been threatened to sue. But we don't really deal in, we don't, we don't deal in the Americas yeah. uh, so much. Not at the moment. It, it might not be sort of a threatened to sue situation for something that oh, our legal team will be in touch with. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, cool, 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 cool. But why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one guy who sent us a, who said, oh, we have an exclusivity clause with him. Mm. No, we don't. We didn't sign that. And we would have, we would not have, never have done that. And um, he sends us back an NDA. And he goes, no, we just said that we wouldn't tell people what you've told us. It's not nothing to do with an exclusivity deal. Yeah. But yeah, they just bluff. They just bluff their way through these, through these things. And it's like, why are you? Yeah, it's just not the way we do as Australians. We do things. Yeah. And Americans, it seems to be the case that that's sort of how it happens. Is it is it weird? Do people have a weird perspective of you being Australians in snow sports? Because I guess the general consensus of Australia is that it's on fire and everything's trying to kill you and that there's no snow. Yeah. Is it weird? Do people kind of find it weird that, you know, someone that's leading, you know, changing the way in the snow sports landscape in terms of safety technology, do you get a bit of pushback of kind of like, why are you guys doing this? Yeah, look, a little bit. And it's funny, in reality, it's what actually makes the, the, the fire burn hotter because yeah. we're so far away. It's like, you know, distance growth makes the heart grow fonder. It's, we want it so badly that, you know, we've been trying to make snowboard rails in our backyard for years to try and ride over grass. Kind of <laughs> we just want to be there so bad. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's funny enough that the main pushback we get is in Australia. You know, we go to these startup events and they go, well, what are you doing in Australia? Well, it's where we're from. Why wouldn't we? You know? And yeah. And there's great snow here. There's some fantastic riders. Like Scotty James is on top of the world at the moment. And he's an Aussie. Mm. So, you know, why not? And at some point it might be the case that we, I mean, we love Brisbane, but getting closer to the snow is obviously just a whole lot geographically easier being mm. close to the market that you're in. And, you know, if we have to bite the bullet and move to a snow town, we will. Yeah. But um, for now, we're just loving you know, Brisbane and the ecosystem and all that kind of thing. So it's been yeah. really good to us. And we talked a little bit about some of the kind of the negative stuff that's around the startups. You know, you yeah. had a bit of pushback from the Kickstarter campaign. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of hard work. I'm imagining that you're not driving a Ferrari just yet. <laughs> what's what's the why? Why are you doing this? What what is it that your end goal that you're that you're striving for? You go, I want to do this now because of this. What's your why? That's a really interesting one. And from a business perspective, it's different to my own why, I guess. Well, give us your own why. My own why is because I love humans. It's just always been something that I've done. Sounds like a, like a Miss Universe pageant. Art. Yeah. <laughs> I do all the volunteering. And yeah. I, I'm no Miss Universe, I guess. But I mean, like, I worked at a theme park for the best part of six years. Right. And it was the best time because I got to meet like a thousand people a day. Right. And when you go to the snow with your best mates... Um, are you a skier or a boarder at all? I'm a boarder. Boarder? Cool. Border, but I wouldn't call me like a boarder, no, right? Yeah, yeah, like, uh. But there's no better feeling yeah. than stepping off a lift with your best mates yeah. and just shouting at each other all the way around, just all the way down the hill, just slash, shred, whatever. It doesn't matter if you wait for people or whatever. There's just no purer feeling. And it, it's been the same for me for a long time. For like motorbike riding was the same. And mm. I used to ride bikes a lot and, and wakeboarding as well. It's just this community. Yeah. And... You know, like I wakeboarded for, I still do a little bit, but at a, at a relatively high level in Australia for, not well, but you know, I rode nationals and stuff. Mm. And, you know, the days that your mates wouldn't be at the park riding with you, they were your worst days. Yeah. But when you cruise all together and you're having a great time, doesn't matter what you're doing and how bad you're riding, everything is great. And that's just 
what I want. I just want to enable cool times for people. People where they get back into the into the homestead or whatever at the end of the day and go, God, that was a good day. Yeah, I love you guys. And that's kind of why I do nearly everything. I guess is just that. So where are you in five years, and where are you in ten years? Like, what's in five years' time? What's Rob doing on a day to day, and in ten years' time, what's oh. Rob doing on a day to day? I don't know if I'll ever be able to put it down, to be honest. I, I love sort of as an engineering student being on tools and just sort of thinking about cool things. Hopefully, we'll have a couple of different products out or a couple of different companies doing different things. And mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing is we'll be in the snow. Is you know We'll be in like Tahoe or Utah or, or you know Swiss Alps or something and running a business from there and having a bunch of cool people that would... You know, the biggest thing that I've always wanted is you walk into an office and they're all your best mates and you're yeah. working on cool things that, that people love. Yeah, and that's in five years. That's absolutely what I want to be doing. And mm. um, you know, it'll be snow helmets. We'll be making snow helmets. But if we can make a couple other cool things at the same time, get some get some mates in to, to build other cool stuff with us yeah. and expand that that office full of cool people. That's absolutely it. And of course, shredding a whole lot. Just like go for a morning ride, roll into the office, yeah, go for a few quick turns in the afternoon, and, and <laughs> go home and have dinner. That's that's the ultimate dream. All right, I might be calling you for a job in five years. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, anytime, anytime. For sure. And what about and what about the people that influence you? Who do you look up to, um, at you know, at the moment that that keep driving you forward? Well, there's a ton. Without, without name dropping too much, I don't want to be that kid on. Drop on some podcast. names. Drop some names. Of course, it's mum and dad. Mum and dad are legends. Um, always supported me in everything I've done. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how silly it might be. Um, earlier things anyway, not this. This yep. is not silly. Um, uh, there's a few people in the ecosystem who are just absolute champions who have always had the most time for us. Um, James Fielding from Ordera is a big one. Um, He's a legend. He's absolute legend. Um, we always email him and he emails back, yep, sure, let's meet up. Always mm. a great guy. Always has a fantastic advice. Um, there's Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie's a guy that... Another legend. Another legend. There's a lot of legends in the ecosystem. <laughs> Um, inspired a lot of people around us you know Scotty Miller a kid who's a couple of years younger than me from Bop but the drive that guy has mm. is just insane um, and it could go on forever really there's yeah. just people who do cool things all the time that we're just super stoked about and, and it's just great to sit there and talk to them and of course we're young at the moment so we sort of take heed with a lot of people you know we, we look up to them in, in a lot of different ways and I think that's probably one of the most important things about all this is knowing who you want to look up to and the way they portray themselves and all that kind of thing. You know, Tyson Young is another one who comes to mind. Absolutely legend. Mm. And um, haven't had too much to do with business with him, but just a guy that you can chat to at yeah. any time, any event, you show up, shake his hand and you're chatting. So yeah. that, that's a big thing. And Rob, if people want to follow the journey, where, where's, where's the best way to stay in touch with Auntie? What's your uh, socials? Um, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Instagram, we're Auntie Ordinary one mm-hmm. um, Facebook, we're just Auntie Ordinary. Um, you'll be able to find us if you just look up anti ordinary. Should be able to get to us pretty easily these days. Um, got a, got a bit on the internet, so yeah, they're the best ways. We'd love to keep in touch. If anyone wants to ever hit us up, always happy to chat to somebody. So awesome. it's all good. And can we buy? Can we pre-order your helmets, or is that at the moment, or is that exclusive to just Kickstarter? Yeah, oh no, we're in an Indiegogo campaign at the moment. Okay, so Indiegogo's on, so they can grab one then. Uh, but we will be on you know, the slopes later on in the year, so we'll have a, a finite amount on the shelves ready to go at the end of the year beyond the Kickstarter ones of course they're the first yep. ones to get delivered um, and then from there we'll have a bunch on the slope so if you want to grab one grab one then and you know, be one of the homies awesome 
Thanks for coming in, Rob. Thank you, mate. You're an absolute legend. Me. Cheers, mate.